So uh, today's been, this week has been kind of a fun week for me. For those of you who aren't aware, um, there's this weird game that came out called Pokemon where real people are catching <laughs> fictional characters. So yeah, let me, let's just do that. If you're playing Pokemon, give me a whoop. Okay, it's all you guys in the front. You're all the weird ones. Okay. Um, so I, I literally, I, I put water out this morning and a little Pokemon sign because I was trying to catch Pokemon trainers for Jesus as they're trying to catch Pikachus. So that was my plan. I was hiding behind the tree. And then one of our chapel members who bought um, a bunch of chips to give out, he, he said, hey, can I buy 100 chips? I said, yeah, man. He drove up this morning, and he put out stacks of chips because Pokemon has three teams. So he put chips out and said, hey, grab a chip that represents your team. Happy Sunday or something like that. <laughs> I thought, this addiction is getting grave because he's in his 40s. So, you know, that's a... <laughs> Uh, we had a, worship, a great worship night on Friday night uh, over at the Crazy Cup. It was such a blast to be able to play with that team, uh, with Charles and Jared and Steve and the gang, the drummers, Ree. We're all just going off singing songs, and I hadn't sang with people for a long time. I was very nervous, but God carried us all through. I only missed about half the notes, I've been told. Um, and today, we are back in Ecclesiastes. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Today we're talking about a topic that churches talk about a lot, um, and I would prefer not to talk about it, but as I've told you before, being a Bible person, I want to work through the Bible, and I want to show you Jesus as we go through books of the Bible. And this morning's topic is the topic of wealth and money, because this is what Solomon is talking about. Solomon has been on this experiment that we've been following him in where he, he basically said, I'm going to try to get the most juice out of life that I can. I'm going to do it by pursuing money. I'm going to do it by pursuing building. I'm going to do it by pursuing power. I'm going to do it by pursuing women. I'm going to do it by pursuing all of these different things. And he wanted to take everything to its natural end to see if that thing would give him happiness and joy. And again and again, he was let down. And today we're talking about money, which is everyone's favorite church topic, right? Like if, if there's one topic that I wish the church had a better reputation on, it would be with money. Because we've seen the TV evangelists that have their nice designer suits and their big diamond earrings and their diamond cufflinks asking for more money to support somebody in a faraway country. And, and I always wonder, like, why don't you just sell your suit and your diamond cufflinks and your earrings and pay for people in that country? Like we can raise the funds. We've had pastors that have raised funds for multi, multi-million dollar jets in the name of Jesus. We've had pastors who live opulently who say, well, because I, I've earned this, I can just spend it however I please. And that may be your worldview. I'm just going to let you know that that's not particularly mine. Um, just because we have much doesn't mean we should spend much. I think that money is a gift that we are given from God to steward, to enjoy life, but also to steward for his purposes. So with that, we are going to pray, and then we will jump in. Father, I thank you for the good things that you have given us. I thank you for the families that are here represented today. I pray that your spirit would challenge us today as it has challenged me this week. I pray that you would encourage us today as you have encouraged me in my preparation this week. And I ask that we would become a church known for generosity, that we would be generous with our time, that we would be generous with our resources, that we would be generous with our homes, opening them up to our neighbors, that we would be generous people. God, only your Holy Spirit can change hearts on this issue. So I pray that your spirit would come today. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I once went to college, 
And when I grew up, I didn't have the greatest financial um, background. Like there was my, my mother and I, she was a single mom most of my life. So we literally were like that check to check sort of lifestyle where you would wait, you got paid, and then you would go get food. And like when we would go to the gas station, and I tell my wife this all the time because she's been getting on me about, um, you know, like, tell me when you get gas and tell me how much you're getting. I'm like, babe, this is just gas. I got to get around. Because I remember a time with my mom where we would get down to the wire and we would go scraping through the couch for coins and she would send me in and she'd be like, go get all this on pump eight. This kids, just for you that don't know this, there used to be a thing called cash and coins and you would go in and actually trade these metal and paper objects for goods and wares, okay? It wasn't just credit cards. So I would go in and I would be this 11, 12 year old kid. I need $5.35 on pump number eight. And you'd put it in, and this is one of these, right? This is where we were at this stage of life. You would pump the gas. It would stop at $5 and whatever cents. But then because you knew that you just scraped dimes out of a couch cushion for that, you take the whole pipe and you lift it up, right? You guys ever do this? This is just, I just don't want to be alone, okay? This, this is what we were doing every time, okay? Um, my first job at a gas station, I would go around with a gas can at the end of my shift, and I would empty all of the things out and put them in my car, my 1984 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme that got like 1.5 miles to the gallon, because this, this is the phase. Now, then I go into college, and here I am, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, never owned a credit card in my life, but I'm in college now. I'm a big boy. Nobody in my family had gone to college at this point, so I roll into campus my first day, just young as could be, and someone says, hey, do you want a free Nerf football? I'll take a free Nerf football. What do I got to do for a free Nerf football? Sign up for this credit card. Sure, I've never had a credit card. Do I get a free football? Sure, I'll sign up. Sign up. Never been taught how to use a credit card. I knew the premise, but I thought, well, it tells me I've got $600. So what did I do? I went and spent $600. I made a couple minimum payments, and what did the credit card company do? They said, oh, we're going to bump your limit up to $1,000. How much money do I have now? Oh, I can go up to $1,000. Walk into Best Buy. Hey, are you new in college? Yes, I'm new in college. Why? Why are you telling me this, Intercom? Because we've got a laptop deal for you. No interest for 15 months. No interest for 15 months? Someone gives me a card that has magic money, and now you're going to throw a computer at me? Interest-free? I'm interested. So I got my first computer, my first laptop computer the big ones, the HP computers that weighed 700 pounds, the fans turned on, the desk shook. Right? That was, I was excited. And then about six months went by, and I had gotten some more free Nerf footballs and computers. And before I knew it, all of a sudden, I got the bill one day, and I thought, how am I thousands of dollars in debt? I'm supposed to be in college taking math, and I can't even stay out of debt. Well, I pleaded with God, and I prayed with God, because I was newly uh, in the ministry position. I said, God, I, I don't know how I got into this mess. And God's like, you're a fool. So I got into this mess. God, if you could please help me out of this mess. And I began making a plan to pay it off. And it was meager because at that time I was making, uh, it's my first ministry job. I was making $9 an hour as a junior high youth pastor. And, and the best part about it was after my first year, they gave me a raise and I went in to talk to the person to thank them, thanks for the raise, because it was a 14 cents an hour raise. I said, hey, thank you guys for the raise. I didn't even know I was getting one. And the administrative pastor said, oh, I'm so sorry. We didn't mean to give you that. I'm like, you didn't mean to give me 14 cents an hour? You could take the smack off my face now and just take it back. I don't need those two tacos. It's going to buy me every other month. 
I began paying it back. And, uh, and this doesn't happen to everybody, but it was a crazy story that happened to me because I'd, I'd paid it down, I'd paid it down, and it was down in the $3,400 some dollar range. And, and I had worked off a few thousand dollars of this debt is dumb thing that I was going through. And I was there in the back of a church service one day, and somebody walked up to me that I had never seen in my life. And they said, God told me to give this to you. And they handed me a check. And I said, is this for the offering? They said, no, this is for you. Your name is on it. And I looked at the check, and it was for the exact amount of debt that I owed plus $1. One, plus $1. And I looked at it. I looked up at them. I'm like, are you kidding me? And I said, do you know who I am? Nope. God told me to give this to you because they had seen me doing the youth stuff, and it was just an old person in the church that said, this is the amount that they said give to, to that youth pastor. So I took it. I put it in the bank, paid off my debt that afternoon, and then I went with my extra dollar. And at that time, you could go to a place called Jack in the Box. I don't think we have them here, but you get two tacos for a dollar. So I got a dime, got my two tacos for a dollar, paid off my debt. Now, that does not happen normally. That was not a normal experience. If that were a normal experience, I would probably do that cycle every seven years, right? I'm just going to rack up $10,000. God, send me some charitable older person that wants to bless me with a dollar over my debt amount. I haven't done that, thankfully. But today we're going to look at the traps that wealth sets for us. And I don't think that my story is unique. I think that we all have stories where we've been lured into wanting to buy things that we don't necessarily need with money that we don't have. And Solomon is going to show us the traps that are set before us in regards to wealth. Chapter 5, verse 8. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. So if we see poor people oppressed in violation of justice, do not be amazed. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there is yet higher ones over them. But this gain for a land, in, but this is gain for a land in every way. A king committed to cultivated fields. I'm going to keep on reading. Verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? So here's what's going on. Solomon is saying, look, there's bad things that happen in the land. There, there's injustice that is going on in their times, in their land. Now, we've probably been able to watch some of the news, and you see the, the disparity of income. You know, we call them the one percenters, and they hold a great chunk of the American wealth. Now, that, that could be an injustice to you. Maybe it's not an injustice to you. What is an injustice, however, are when people are constantly taking money to hoard for themselves at the expense of other people, especially those around us, especially those around us. Solomon is saying, don't worry, though, because there's somebody watching over them, and somebody's watching over them. And you know where that chain goes to? Because there's the highest rung in the ladder is God is watching over all of us. And Jesus said, if you see someone that's thirsty, give them a cup of water to drink. That's why today, this morning, you'll see a table out there with water bottles, because I'm baiting all of the Pokemon trainers that are coming by to get their little Poke gifts at the chapel. For those of you who aren't in the game, you know you heard me mention it. Google arbitrarily chooses places that gives away free Pokemon resources, and guess what they chose at the chapel? The cross. I think that's hilarious. That the cross of Jesus, the symbol that brings the greatest hope to all of humanity, literally dozens of people every day are coming there to catch fictional creatures. And if you get the app and you touch the little Pokemon stop, a picture of the cross shows up. And you've got to spin it. You've got to spin the cross to get fake things out of it. 
to play a fake game when the real Jesus was literally hung on a cross. If you don't believe me, I'm going to put a little lure up. There's these things where I can bait them in after service, and you'll see a bunch of 40-year-old people come up and catch Pokemon (laughs) at this cross. If you don't believe me also, this side of the chapel is usually the least sat on side. The reason they're over there is because every five minutes they're getting Pokeballs, you guys. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. There, there, there's, this <laughs> there's this crazy thing happening in our world where, the, where money is, we're detaching it. We're not seeing injustice, injustice for what it is. We're not giving water to the thirsty or food to the hungry or clothing to those who are in need. And Solomon wants us to point something out here. If you love money, you will not be satisfied. And that's the thesis for all of chap- the rest of chapter 5 and all of chapter 6. The love of money will not satisfy you. The love of money will not give you satisfaction for the craving that you have. Now, believe you me, I, I fight this temptation because our culture teaches us the exact opposite. We are bombarded with over 5,000 marketing messages a day that are telling us that if we just get this, it'll make us happy. If we just get this, it'll make us happy. If we just play this or participate in this or can join this, it will make us happy. If you have this car, it will make you happy. If these clothes, it'll make you happy. This watch, it'll make you happy. And they do for a little bit, right? Everything gives us that small measure. But, but it's never enough. It's like we're trying to fill this chasm in our heart, and this chasm is this dry Sahara desert, and, and every time we get a new trinket, we think it's going to satisfy and quench the thirst, but we're really just there with an eye droplet putting drops of water into the hot desert. This car makes me so happy. It's a mist. It's gone. This game, it makes me so happy. It's gone. This trinket, this Whatever it is, this house, this extra square footage, it all makes me happy. And then, as it always goes, it's gone. So do not be satisfied with money, because money will not satisfy your deepest need. With more money comes more dissatisfaction. Have any of you guys noticed this crazy thing that happens in our world where we we have different levels of living, right? So when you're a teenager, you don't really know this quite yet, although it's starting younger and younger. But basically, there's this unspoken rule that whatever you make financially, that should, you should have all of the, the toys, gadgets, the, the big word is the accoutrements, the stuff that belongs to that station of life, right? So if you make $20,000, then you should have the things that $20,000 people probably have. If you make $30,000, that, that ups your level. So $20,000 for me is $20,000 Ryan Tyrona. I had my 1984 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme. For those of you who are unfamiliar with this car, I was the envy of all the gangsters at my high school because the car is about 300 feet long. It was white, and it was like boxy-shaped. My trunk could fit at least four to six dead bodies. Um, and literally, the envy, like I, I had my friends, we, were, we sort of messed around with things. We put a house speaker, one of the giant old wood ones, and we wired it into my sound system so that we could roll down the street, bumping whatever version of Snoop Dogg I was listening to at the time and making it loud enough for the entire neighborhood to hear. Now, that was $20,000, Ryan. And then I, I got a raise. So I got a 1987 Toyota pickup truck. Man, I love that pickup truck until one day on the highway, all of my electrics went out and um, clutch oil or whatever that was came flooding down on my foot when I was changing gears. 
And thankfully, I got a new job, and I got bumped up to $30,000 a year, Ryan. And at that point, I got the Mitsubishi Lancer because I wanted to be like Paul Walker in Fast and the Furious, right? All the girls are like, yeah, you did, yeah. I did, but I wasn't because I had the non-turbo version. I was going slow. <laughs> it, and it just goes on and on and on. But now there's this weird cultural phenomenon, and we've got what I like to call $40,000 millionaires, because they make like $40,000 a year and their Instagram has more jewelry and more car posts than I have ever imagined in my life. And, and there's this weird sensation like, I make $40,000 a year and I buy $300 pairs of shoes. And I wanna just sit them down with a calculator and say, let's do the raw math on this. Because the number of Air Jordans that fit into a $40,000 a year salary are gonna become really detrimental to your future self. But there's this notion that if I have money, I've got to spend money. Now, here's what Solomon is saying. Just because you have it doesn't mean you should spend it because spending it will not give you the satisfaction that you think it will give you. Now, some of you in here are not the spending type. Some of you are the savers. And oh boy, do I know some savers in my life. I know people who save money like you could not imagine. And, and I'm not, <laughs> this is just maybe my family. I'll ask Gia. But do your Filipino family, do, are they like just tight with every penny and nickel they can get or no? So that's just my family, okay? So my grandpa, I mean, you could not pry a nickel out of his hands for anything when he was alive. He was generous in other ways, but at the age of 82, 83, if he saw a penny on the ground, he would stop at every penny. It was impossible. Like every time I went to a store with him, I would park closest to the door that I could possibly get, not because I didn't want my grandpa to have to walk far, but because I didn't want to stop for 300 pennies in a Walmart parking lot. He, he saved his money. Some of you save your money so much, and you're like, I got to build up my 401k. I got to get my retirement going. And that's all good. Be wise, be prudent, save up. But don't put all your hope for security in a 401k. Don't put all your hope for the future in a savings account. Because those things can come and go as fast as the wind. And Solomon wants us to see this. Do you want to know the other thing that comes with money that Solomon points out here? When goods increase, when money increase, it says they increase who eat them. Do you know who has some of the most friends in the world? People that win the lottery. It's fascinating to see the stories and hear the testimonies of people. When they win the lottery, the amount of friends that come out of the woodwork. If you want to know how many fake friends you have, just get an inheritance and you will find out all the acquaintances that you never wished you'd never known. Did that make sense? Maybe not. I don't know. The more money you have, the more friends you'll tend to have. And they will eat the food that your money buys and then your money will be gone and the food will be gone. Now, let's, let's read this passage from 1 Timothy. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So a few things I want to point out here. First, this passage is saying that those who desire to be rich are falling into a temptation. And then it says, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires. Now, I don't know about you, but this culture cultivates a desire and a hunger to get more, get more, get more. And the Bible says when you do that, when you want to get more, get more, get more, you are lining your life up with a minefield. 
You are walking through a hunting ground where people have laid bear traps and you put a blindfold on. And I know, you guys, I know, I know, I know that this is a very uh, divisive topic because there are preachers today, right now, across this country who are telling you, if you believe in Jesus, you will get more wealthy. There are preachers right now today literally saying, if you sow a seed of $100, God will bless you a hundredfold. There are preachers today, if you go flip on the news and go up to what I call the crazy channels that will be there today selling crazy stuff. They will sell you handkerchiefs that are called holy handkerchiefs. They will sell you oil that was pressed from olives that came from Jerusalem. They will send you little carvings made out of an olive tree that was allegedly carved from olive trees in Jerusalem. And who's to know if that's even true? But they will sell these things to you and they say, if you buy these, if you sow this seed, then you will, then you will, then you will. Now, I want to tell you there are giving principles in the Bible. There are principles that God says, if you generally live by this wisdom, your life will generally go this way. But Jesus is not here and did not come to make you wealthy in this life or healthy in this life. Just because you have Jesus doesn't mean all of a sudden you're going to become Scrooge McDuck and gold coins are going to fall from the sky upon your life. It's, it's been one of those weeks for me that was very trying. Uh, one of my kids took a dive off of uh, one of our chairs in the living room and we have hard tile everywhere. And, and she took a, a feet feet over, head down, dive, cranked her head open. I was in a meeting with somebody from the chapel, and I was trying to be calm because my wife was going ballistic on the other end. And I just kept saying, give the boys to our neighbors, take the girl to ER. And she wouldn't listen to me. Um, and and there's, a, there's a narrative there. But like My wife had an aunt who passed away when she was three, when my aunt was three, so she never got to see my wife being born, my, my father-in-law's sister, because she hit her, hit her head. So my wife's like, that's it. My daughter hit her head. Day before her third birthday, we got to go to ER. I get that. But, and then, then later on, uh, in the, earlier in the week, one of our church members got diagnosed with cancer. I mean, it was just like one of those weeks where everything was going bad. Now, guess what? Um, the person who got diagnosed with cancer, man, they love Jesus. They love Jesus with like one of those crazy, smiley, laugh, joy-filled kind of loves. My daughter... I mean, I love Jesus, and, and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, she just went over, hit her head. My wife loves Jesus. My daughter loves Jesus as best she can. I don't think she loves Jesus as much as my boys, but she loves Jesus. But, but it, we're prone to think that just because Jesus is on our side that bad things won't happen. This is not true. We're prone to think that just because Jesus is on our side that that means we will be blessed financially. That's just not true. It, it's, it's ironic that we forget that the person who our whole faith is centered around Jesus lived his whole ministry life as a mostly homeless person. He said, I've got nowhere to lay my head at night. Foxes have dens and birds have nests. I, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. We, we are following somebody who is a nomad. He is the center of our religion. He is the center of our faith. And he didn't have wealth. And, and we don't know health-wise where he stood, but, you know, we know that at some times he was hungry because of fasting. We know that he was subjected to the elements constantly. So we should not falsely believe that just because we have Christ, we will automatically get this wealth. I want to point out also that this passage in verse 10 says, it is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is not evil. 
we shouldn't look at money and say, ah, money's bad, money's bad, money's bad, because there's the other side of the spectrum of Christians that will look at us and say, hey, if you have money, any money you have, you've got to be just pouring it out, emptying your pockets, you've got to feed the world, which is true. In one sense, we need to be known as the most generous people, the most generous tribe in the world. Christians should be more generous than every other religion, more generous than Muslims, more generous than Mormons, more generous than Jehovah's Witness, more generous than Buddhists, more generous than Hindus, because our Savior poured out all and gave all for us. Now we can freely give all to others. But it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Because there's a people that will say, look, if you, if you get money... You shouldn't spend any on yourself. And there's people that wear only certain types of clothing. And I'm not going to be here to say, hey, don't buy nice cars. Don't buy nice clothing. I'm going to say, enjoy what God has given you. Because that's what Solomon tells us to do. That's what God tells us to do in the Bible. But be the most generous person that you could possibly be with all that God has given you. And not just money, all of your wealth. Be as generous as you possibly can be. And And here's the thing with money. Money usually gets us to close our hand around it so we can hold on tight to it. And when our hands are full and consumed with getting more money, they're not open and free to grab onto Jesus. So the line that I've often said here is, I want you to become more generous people so that you can free up your hands to be able to more tightly grasp hold of Jesus. Because Jesus will satisfy you in ways that money can never not. You can love money and it will fill you temporarily, but it will never satisfy you as Jesus does. And he even says that in Matthew six nineteen to 21. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will serve, uh, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And the word that Jesus used there for money is actually mammon, which is a, it's like a pronoun word. He, he attributes money to a personality. He attributes money to somebody that's whispering in your ear, saying, hey, come serve me. Come, just come pursue me a little bit more, and I'll give you all the happiness that you think you want. Now, it's pretty sad when things break in your life, Right? Does anyone ever get tired of things breaking? Okay, so like cars break, my, uh, something in your house breaks. When we were buying our house here, I said, okay, babe, we've been renting since we've been married. I'm just going to give you a heads up that as soon as you buy a house, you're signing a piece of paper that says this place is going to start falling apart. No, it doesn't matter where you live. You could buy a brand new house. It doesn't even matter. You sign that paper, and basically you're just saying, I'm buying a fixer-upper that's built last year. Now, I get those things, but man, I wish life would just slow down enough because if it's not one thing, it's another, right? If something in my house isn't breaking, then my kids are growing out of their clothes. And my, my son Jackson, he's like, he's going to be my size. He's very tall. He's, I don't know. He's taller than Don, but he's not as tall as me, okay? So he's taller than growing up, not as tall as me. Now, Jackson is lanky. Silas, my middle-born, he is not tall. You can pray for him. I want him to be part of the family and feel welcome because all of us in my family are going to be tall except for Silas. The good thing Silas has going for them for him is that he's, he's built like with anger. So I like that. So he'll be a good football player that's smaller. Now Silas was a second born. So guess who gets all the, the fresh clothes? Jackson. Guess who gets the leftover clothes? Silas. But what happens when you take a bean pole 
and you put those clothes on a miniature Oompa Loompa tank-looking child. You've got shorts that go down to your ankles. He looks like a gangbanger. You've got shirts that are giant, his tank tops, like, because he, he, he could never fit into what Jackson did at his age. So you're, I'm not going to put Silas in Oshkosh Bagosh suspenders at the age of four, okay? That's not going to happen. It just looks weird. But, but that's how my kids line up, so now I've got to buy my kids clothes. And now I, gotta, I, I have a daughter. I didn't know that having a daughter meant so many crazy things. My daughter changes her outfit at least 12 times an hour, okay? And don't laugh. I'm not joking. An hour right now. My wife got her these Disney underwear things. First off, I'm, side note, I'm not okay with my daughter wearing anything that resembles grown-up clothes, okay? Um, second off, I don't know how many times we've washed these Disney underwear. They're consuming my life. Cinderella is found on candelabras, on dinner tables. I found a pair of her underwear in the freezer by the ice cream. I have no idea. But, but this is... Here's the thing with all these things. In, in, in just a couple minutes, a couple blinks of an eye, all of these things are going to be gone in the trash. I can't tell you the number of stuffed animals I've thrown out. I can't... I can't tell you the number of things that I purchased that are long gone, that are out of my memory. I have no idea where my first car, that 84 Oldsmobile, I have no idea where Bessie is right now. Her name was Bessie. Um, I have no idea where my pickup truck, my 1987 pickup truck, his name was Fred. I don't know where he is right now. I have no idea where my 2002 Tricell is. Toyota Tricell looked like a green little breath mint going down the road. My Mitsubishi Lancer, which was like the car of my heart that I sold to move out here. I loved you guys that much without seeing you that I sold the car that I prayed in, wept in, cried in, worshipped in. I sold that car and left it in California. I have no idea what the college kid is doing with it, probably wishing he was Paul Walker. And now I have Sarah, the Volkswagen, who already had a dead battery. And, and in five years, I'm going to have, maybe not five years, ten years, I got like an eight-year average if they last. They, they break. My house that I live in now, I think it's pretty cool, mostly because I have AC that works better than this AC. So I'm happy about it. In 50 years, it's going to be either a pile of rubble or I'll just be really old still paying to fix it. In 50 years, none of us are going to be wearing the same shoes. If you are, you need to go to shopping. In 10 years, the things that you think are cool now are going to be obsolete. Do you realize that it was 10 years ago that the iPhone came out? 10 years ago. <laughs> Today, <laughs> there are kids playing on devices that are GPS tracking, that are faster than my first computer, and they're catching fictional creatures at the cross that were born after 9-11. I mean, this, the pace of our world is changing. And the world wants us to say, just keep putting money at us and we'll give you the satisfaction that you need. And if you haven't found it yet, you're probably never going to find it playing the same old games. You can only serve one master. You can serve Jesus, or you can listen to the sly, slippery voice of mammon. Now here's the, here's the trick, and we're going to wrap it up with this concept. Here's, here's where the gospel of Jesus collides with money. There's three ways to view money. So you, you put three ways on the board just so we can all, so I can put them through our mind. So we've got um, the man-centered way. So the man-centered way to view money is that money either will save you, so if you get enough of it, you will be saved. If you get enough money, you will be saved from the hell that you are in. 
And all of us think that we are in some type of hell, right? Whether it's a debt, a mortgage, something that we need. So man-centered view of wealth says, if you get enough money, money will be your salvation. Now, I don't want to leave it right there. Um, I want us to also think about this. Man-centered way of thinking is that money will save you, but there's also another wrong way, which is religion-centered way of thinking about money. If you have a religion-centered way of thinking about wealth, it tells you this. You can purchase your salvation if you give enough, if you are generous enough. That is also a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus has uh, no need for your money. There's nothing that your money is going to do to impress Jesus. I want to give you that on the, on, on the forefront. There is no amount of you sowing seed into that evangelical preacher's uh, hands that will give you more favor with God's sight. If you buy 10,000 holy handkerchiefs today, God will not be like, you finally arrived. I'm glad that you purchased. The religious view of wealth says you've got to either buy your salvation or that money displays your salvation. Neither are true. Your salvation was purchased on the cross of Jesus by his blood. And the display of your salvation is the fruit of the Spirit coming from your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Please hear me. I, I don't want to say that there are not things that God has closely wired to money. Because money is the last string that often gets cut in a new believer's life. When I first got saved, I was a boss at reading. I could read through the Bible. I could pray. I could sing songs. And God was slowly shaving off the selfishness from me. He was saying, okay, you like to do things with your own time. I'm going to show you you got to do everything for, for me. Your time is my time. Okay, God, I can give you my time. And then God says, hey, you think that where you go is on you? No, where you go is my mission. Okay, God, I'll go where you tell me to go. But you know what the hardest string was for God to cut? Because I have all these selfish strings that held me up. My time, my stuff. God, leave this alone. God, don't touch this. And some of the things in my life, as in yours, God, God easily just clips the, the cord, right? God says, hey, I want you to give me Sunday mornings. Okay, I, I could give you Sunday mornings. Clip, got some freedom to move. And God says, actually, I want you to give me Monday through Sunday. Oh, that's a little bit harder. That, that string's a little bit thicker. Clip. Ooh, that feels good, though. I can move a little bit. And then God says, hey, um, you know that neighborhood you live in? You think you bought the house because you liked it? No, I put you there because there's people around you that need to be loved. I need you to love your neighbors intentionally. Ooh, God, that's asking a lot. Have you met my neighbors? Okay, clip. Now, for some reason, and I know the reason, the last string that God cuts with believers is the string that goes from your wallet to heaven. Because that one seems to be made out of 17 braid titanium platinum alloy that's fused with the god's powers the greek gods and as soon as god wants to touch that people cry you're after my money pastor <laughs> people cry i knew it church is only here for my money and you know what, what that whisper is coming from that wallet that purse it wants to hold on to control because it's one of the biggest and most freeing things when we can finally say that money is no longer a master, but it's a thing that God has given me, a resource and gift that I can now use to help others and display how much I love Jesus. 
That's what the gospel-centered view of wealth is, that Jesus gave all for me so I can freely give all to others, that I'm no longer addicted to money. I no longer have to use money as my security blanket. My security blanket is Jesus. My approval is not in what I look like, dress like, drive, or live. It's in Jesus. So it doesn't matter if I have to get a smaller house, a smaller car, a bigger car, bigger house, more property, less property, because my life is about Jesus and not about my status. When God finally saws through that cable, then money becomes something that it's not hard to give. Then, then when a pre- preacher says, hey, in the Old Testament, they gave 10%. Jesus says, man, just give in, in response to all these given you and use that guide of 10%. Then it becomes like 10%. That's crazy. I could never do 10%. But once God cuts through that, you're like, wow, that's more freeing than I thought. Because you can only run so fast after Jesus when you still have one big cord attached to another master. I was at uh, Disneyland on Friday for my daughter's third birthday, and I saw one of the best things ever. So I, I wanted to get this for my children, but my wife won't let me do it. You know those leashes they have for dogs and children? So I saw a dad, and he had three leashes attached to three separate children, okay? And this was a big dad, like a little bit shorter than me and, and probably twice as girthy as me. And man, these kids were just, it looked like a dog sled race, but with humans. They were pining to get into Winnie the Pooh, pining to, and I was following them. I should have taken more pictures than I did, but it was creepy already because the Pokemon thing was going on at Disney. So this dad's sitting there, and he's just, and the kids are like, boom, 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 boom. They're bouncing. They're pulling. They're doing this. Those kids were not going to go anywhere without their dad moving because their dad was the master. Their dad was the easily 290-pound master of the toddler little cart dogs that he had with him. Now, those kids wanted to go. Their heart was in the right place. They were like, I really just want to get here. I want to get here. I want to get here. And this is exactly what I see in people of faith at times. Our hearts want to get closer to God. And people say, Pastor, how can I get closer to God? How can I love God more? And I'll say, hey, let's just look at your life. Let's just see what could be holding you back. You know, are you in open sin? Is there sin in your life that you know is there that you're like, I just don't want to deal with it. I don't want to give that to the cross. I don't want to even be forgiven of it. I just want to hide it. And one of the ones I often come to is the wealth. And I'll just say, hey, are you a generous person? I won't even ask them how much they give, if they give, when they give. I'll say, are you a generous person? Would you say that you look at your wealth and when you get, get from God, when you receive from God, do you look at it and say, I'm at least going to take this first 10% and I'm just going to give it? to others, to push back the darkness in the world. I'm going to give it to a church. I'm going to give it to a charity to push back the darkness in this world. Or is that something where you think, no, that's actually mine and I want to keep it? They say, well, that's, that's a hard one, Pastor. You don't understand my situation. Well, tell me about your situation. Well, I got this debt. I got this payment. I got this kid. I got this preschool. I got this, this. I got this, that. I got this, 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 this. I'm, I'm here with you. I get it. It's hard. But here's, here's what we're doing when we do that. We're saying, God, I, my heart's here for you. I want you. But we have this big, nasty, 290-pound master called wealth. And wealth is saying, nope, just hold on to me. Just hold on, and I'll give you what you want. But, but I want to go where God wants me to go. No, if, you, if you're going to love me, you can't get that far from me. But, but I really want to love God. Can I, can I just go a little bit further? And God says, Jesus tells us, you can only serve one. Will you let God cut the cable and become a generous person? 
or will you simply keep God just at the fingertips distance and let wealth master your life? Now, the sad news of Solomon is that he did that for his whole life. And next week, it switches. We're going to jump into chapter uh, 7 because chapter 6 is a lot of this concept that we talked about today just being fleshed out. Chapter 7 is Solomon as an old man. Solomon is like a grandpa sitting down and giving us his wisdom. And what Solomon did was that he pursued his whole life and found it meaningless. My prayer is that you wouldn't have to do that. My prayer is that you would become a generous person so that God could bring you into his arms and release you from the tether of wealth that gives us false securities, false hope, and false approval. That we would remember that the guy who died on a cross for our sins was a nomad. And that one day, one day, this is what I cling on to when I see cars that I covet, one day, everything in this, the existence is for the sons and daughters of God. So my wife laughs at me when I tell her I'll see a car that I like. I'm really into the Audis, as many of you know, which is why I bought a Volkswagen. It's like a wannabe Audi. But we'll all see some beautiful car drive by, and I'll hear the engine, and I'll say, babe, look at that car. And she'll say, you want it, don't you? And I say, nope. It's already going to be mine. We see houses with acreage out in the boondocks here. You guys call it the city. I call it like the country. Babe, can we move where there's five acres? Oh, we can't afford it. Okay, fine, I'll wait. One day it's going to be mine. Because when God recreates the heaven and the earth and raises his kids up in the last days, we, we are, some of us, on the poor end of American culture. Some of us not. But at the end of it all, God says, this is for you, my children. So there's no BMW that my heart wouldn't, would want. I mean, BMWs, really? They're not that great anyway. There, there's no view. There's no beach. There's no trinket. Because God will give us all the things. If, if streets are made of gold, I'm not going to be really hankering for that gold-dusted Nike swoosh on my basketball shoes. If there's pearls the size of gates, I'm not going to be fawning over little trinkets of silver coins. We're going to be freed from this life, freed from the temptations of wealth, and wealth will be no more. We will all enjoy the good things that God has for us, and generosity will overcome us. I pray that it would in your lives today as you think about what God has done for you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, my heart is so heavy today um, just in thinking about some of the chapel family. So I pray as we sing this next song, as we hear this next song and listen to it, that we would be caught up in your grace and your love and your mercy. I pray, God, that today as we receive the offering, that we would be generous people, people who show off how much we treasure you and that earthly treasures have no hold on our heart. Help us to untether from the master of money and be tethered to Christ. I thank you for all the good things you give us in Jesus' name. Amen.